I'm not the house of cards that falls down easily Ooh, I'm strong enough to handle what you throw at me Welcome to Mental Health News Radio. I'm your host, Kristen Sunanta-Walker. Just what are we going to discuss? The intimacy that is mental health. Let's continue to make it as comfortable as discussing brain health or heart health. This show has been on the air for several years and we have amazing co-hosts. And then we created a network of podcasters on mentalhealthnewsradionetwork.com, a place where every possible facet of mental well-being can be talked about openly. My show, after several hundred interviews, the format is this. Intimate, deep, funny, touching, sometimes uncomfortable, but always vulnerable conversations with interesting people. The goal is to have you, our listening family, many of you who have become my good friends, feel as though you are listening in on private conversations. Thank you for tuning in and becoming part of this amazing journey with me and now with our network of podcasters. Just knowing this podcast might be helping any of you realize you are not alone on this journey called being a human being makes doing this podcast worth every second. Hey everyone, Kristen Walker here. I'm here with fantastic co-host Frank King. He is the mental health comedian. Frank, thank you so much for coming on. Would not have missed it. (laughs) And you have brought this incredible guest with you, Zara Khan. Thank you so much for coming on the show, Zara. Incredible. That's awesome. Thank you. So we're going to talk about, well, I'm going to make an announcement first, listeners. Uh, First of all, these two are going to be our, on Mental Health News Radio Network, which is the network that has over 40 shows that cover different topics in mental health. Uh, We're the only mental health uh, podcast network on the planet as of right now. (laughs) And uh, I have been wanting a show that is done by comedians for so long you know, obviously, if we can't laugh <laughs> about this stuff, um, then you're just going to cry all the time. And that's not healthy for anyone. So these two are going to do a show together. We don't have a name yet, but uh, I'm so excited about it. And we'll announce, you know, the name and all that um, soon. But we're going to talk about online dating for this show. So Frank, I want you to um, lead with me on this one. You know, when I came to you with this topic, why did you pick Zara? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, why did you pick me? I'm a terrible person for this podcast, and I will explain why gladly. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Well, a couple of reasons. Uh, One, because she is uh, she's very funny. She's been doing uh, stand-up comedy for about two years, and she has, uh, uh, you know, she's I guess in LA they say an up-and-coming comic because she's done very well in a very short period of time. She's single, uh, female, as you probably guessed, and uh, uh, 30. I hope she didn't mind me telling her age. And she has a bit or bits in her act about dating apps. And I believe this episode is about um, you know using dating apps for your social life. So I thought, well, that's right. ideal. 
<laughs> well, great. And I love Zara that you're like, why would you have me on this? This is not about the successful way to ha- keep your mental health intact. Well, you do online dating because I don't think there is a successful way. So whatever, whatever horror story you might have, that's perfect. <laughs> so please share <laughs> some, please share one with our listeners. I'll, I'll, I can share as many as you want. I've got plenty of stories. Pick pick your favorite. Okay. Well, I'll tell you about what I had last week. Uh, the guy actually accused me of lying about going to the gym. What? Uh, which I thought was pretty shocking. And I mean, I was lying, but that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> Still pretty rude. I mean, technically, I'm taking a break, okay? I went to the gym last night. I, I wasn't lying, lying, you know? But, I mean, just guys feel like they can say whatever they want. Like, I had this other guy that he asked me to send him my comedy video, and I did. And, by the way, don't ever do that. That's a terrible idea. And he replies with, oh, I saw your video. It went from cornball to dark to cornball. And I was like, well, that's more balls than you have. (laughs) Well, that's actually not what I said. I just blocked him because my feelings were hurt. But two days later, that's what I would have said if I thought of it in time. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah, Yeah, that's what I hear is that you have to wear such thick skin uh and you sort of become immune to the amount or the onslaught of insulting things that are gonna be texted to you through the app and then if one gets through to where you start texting each other from your phones and they were good enough at like hiding that they're a sociopath to get to your phone number then you find out later and now they have your phone number not great um to be fair i have been not great at dating like i've been the reason that dates are bad at times not on purpose like one time a date seemed well and then all of a sudden things turned and he wasn't interested anymore and i asked him if he wanted to meet again he's like well we can text and then i i asked him for feedback (laughs) i just stopped it and i was like i'm just curious uh, can you give me any feedback? And he he gave some weird feedback. Like, he didn't like that I gave him a handshake at the beginning. He's like, I feel like you don't like hugs. And I was like, well, I'm not going to hug a stranger. <laughs> and uh, so whenever we parted ways, I made sure to give him a handshake. Oh, my God. You uh, you hand out evaluation forms after a date? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, We care about customer service. Would you mind filling out this uh Use the that's so cute. Yeah. <laughs> oh. that's, so, that's so cute. Our RPR guy. Yeah, RPR guy, Ryan uh, McDonald. Or, oh, my gosh. Okay, we have to edit that. RPR guy, Ryan McCormick. <laughs> or maybe we won't maybe we won't edit this. This is the comedy show. <laughs> anyway, yeah. he just told a story on one of our other shows the other day saying that he did that too. And that is how he found his wife. Because she said she read it, she read his questionnaire to get feedback, and she was like, Oh, honey, no one is gonna ever be able to tolerate you, so I'll just date you. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> 
Yeah. I need that. I need that. Oh, what about you, Frank? Because you've been married for a long time, haven't you? I've been married forever. I uh, actually I've been married 31 and a half years, which is uh, three marriages roughly and comedian years because mm-hmm. comics are the easiest par- persons, persons to live with. I've got a friend actually who's been married. Somebody asked him, how long have you been married? And he said, I've been married 26 years. And then the friend knew he had three wives. And he goes, wait a minute, that's, that's all three marriages. You can't count all three marriages. And his third wife was standing right there. And she goes, of course, he can count all three marriages. They all overlap. Because, uh, and she says, the third wife goes, because he always likes to have one, you know, like warming up in the uh, the bullpen in case he needs her closer. Oh, so, uh, yeah, now we've been, um, I was married uh, to my first wife, who was my high school sweetheart, a wonderful woman. We just didn't belong together. But you know what they say, opposites attract. She was pregnant. I wasn't. Um <laughs> And uh, the thing is, it really wasn't fair to her because so anybody who dates Zara right now knows she is a comedian. So my first wife, though, uh, we were high school sweethearts, college sweethearts. We got married and I'd gone in, into the insurance business with her dad at the same company. And so in her eyes, her mind, whatever, I'm an insurance guy. And then, of course, I started going over mic nights and I became a comedian, which was not exactly her plan for me. Um, my <laughs> current wife, Wendy, when she met me. I was already doing stand-up comedy and she was great by that uh, idea. So I you know she, and so she kind of knew what she was getting into when she signed on sort of. Although um, the interesting thing about dating and marrying comedians, I think is this, somebody sees a comedy, goes to a comedy club, sees a comedian and they, you know, they fall in love <laughs> and they date and they marry. And, and it was the comedy club that brought them together. It was what the person did for a living. They brought them together. And then as the marriage goes, and the person's gone all the time because, well, that's what comedians do. They're on the road. You're on the road all the time. I can't believe it. Why are you on the road all the time? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. You married a comedian. You right. would think it was going to change somehow when we got married. Uh, I know a guy, a uh, juggler. It was a juggling team. And one of the two juggling team members ended up quitting, entertaining completely. Now he's working at a spaghetti factory in Kansas City. Because the woman he'd met on a ship when he was performing just could not live with the fact that he was, wait for it, performing. So, it's, yeah. Even though you met the person while on a trip, you met them while they were away and out of town, right? On a ship, yep. And she was upset <laughs> because he was gone all the time working on ships. And I'm like, you know, uh, here's, what my, here's how my wife feels about it. People go, well, is your wife upset that you're away from home? And, of course, she would much rather have me home. She misses me. But my stock response is, yeah, well, the checks arrive at the house. <laughs> so <laughs> pretty much. And the upside of that, by the way, from a romance uh, angle is that when I am home, when a comedian is home, uh, I'm home. I'm home, you know, 24-7 the entire time until it's time to go to another service. Sometimes I'm home for a week or two, you know, nonstop. So there's a lot of, a lot of quality time. Mm. You're not on a plane or at a gig somewhere. And gotcha. there was no, uh, you know, I'm 62 years old. There was no online dating. Uh, right. Yeah. I've got friends who are my age and are attempting online. I've got a coaching client who was, uh, his wife walked out on him. He was, I think he's in his mid-50s. He'd never done online dating. So he signed up for Match.com. 
And I think for the uh, he did the quickie. There's a quickie um, sort of uh, post, not post bio. Uh, what do you call it? There's a quickie where you build your um, profile, quickie profile. And it said, "What are you looking for in a woman?" And he said, he "Just posted a picture of his ex-wife and said, not this." Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, but the thing was, he was not that creative when it came to corresponding with the women that would would respond to his, you know, entreaties like, you know, let's. Let's go have coffee or whatever. I don't know exactly how it works, but you know, in the in the interaction between the two, he started sending me. He goes, "Well, I sent her this and copied and pasted the text for me," and I never heard back. And I read it, and I just I'm like, "Oh God, oh Lord." Um, his name is Curtis, and I said, "Curtis, you know, you're so friendly and and uh, and uh, so forth on the phone, and in these emails, you're just it's like there's this happy Curtis and this creepy." Curtis. So I said, look, <laughs> if you want a solid relationship, you need to send me whatever you're going to put in the message to the woman before you send it. So he started <laughs> gobbling them together, sending me, I would, I would take out the creep <laughs> and send them back. And now he's moved in and bought a house with one of those women he met online. And she has no idea that she's actually living with me. What because Shakespearean How can you don't help me like that, right? <laughs> yeah. I've been struggling yeah. for years. And you're I would be happy. all of this. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'd be happy. Send, yeah, send me whatever you're going to send the guy first. I'll send it back. I'll fix it. You know, I'll take out the, the bit about, you know, would you please fill out this evaluation form for my last day? Because I'd literally <laughs> like to improve my customer service. Um yeah. <laughs> I'll give you the logins to all those Muslim dating apps. How about that? Yeah. Oh, and you know what, uh, Kristen? That's another reason I thought Zara would be a great person for this podcast about about dating apps. Uh, you know, there's a dating app for just about any group nowadays. My, I wrote a joke that there's a one called Farmers Only. It's a dating app for <laughs> people in the agricultural business. Okay. And my joke is, you know, Farmers Only is good, but you know what I would have called it? I would have called it eieioharmony.com. <laughs> I, I think that's much better than farmers only. So, as Azar just mentioned, there are you know there's Christian uh, dating apps and the, and 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 as, you, as if you watch Zar's uh, video, uh, somewhere between um, um, corny and dark, you'll find the uh, he talks about the Muslim dating apps. <laughs> Yeah, tell us about that, because that fascinated me, Zara. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, they're like, they're very serious. What they try to do is take the traditional values that the, the moms and the aunties and the uncles tried to foster and then mix it with technology, and then they gave them all really bad names. So, like, there's an app called Minder, which is Muslim Tinder, if you can believe it. There's a salam swipe. There's Muzmatch. And there's a new one that just came out. It's called Muslim Catch. And I was like, that sounds like an app designed by the FBI. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Or sexually transmitted disease. They're trying to like say that they're (laughs) insane. What about, um, does it try also try to do arranged marriages or anything like that in the app? Yeah, actually, Muslim Cat is a, not a dating app. It's an arranged marriage app. So oh, I knew it. What it's supposed to be is that you have to, like, 
talk to the person to the point where you like them and then you get engaged so you don't date so they're trying to technology thing with uh all these like traditional values like arranged marriage and it doesn't really work out because it's you know 2019 so yeah that's so well but don't funny. they um does are don't they have things on there for example uh i'm thinking back to your act they have uh they ask sort of um, how how uh, hardcore your religiosity is. You know, how many times a day do you oh, pray, yeah. and how, how long is your beard? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then how practicing you are, uh, how covered you are. Um, I think the how long your beard thing just doesn't make any sense. You can actually filter by that too, <laughs> uh, which is pretty, uh, I guess, convenient if you're looking for a long beard versus the short beard. And it lets you blur your profile picture for privacy. Um, so I, I think it'd be funny if you wore the burka and blurred it anyway. <laughs> yeah, the, or the, uh, the hijab and the burka and then uh, blurred your eyes so you can't see anything. At the, uh... yeah. <laughs> Got to oh make sure it's all, all blurred out. Isn't there a line on there about, um, do you want to get married right away? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can specify um, in how many years you want to get married, including as soon as possible. Um, but there's actually this scam where internationals use Muzzmatch to get wives and get the green card and then leave them. So all these women post in their profiles, U.S. citizens only. Nah. It's like they've become Republican overnight. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. why I thought we should invite Huff to yes. this discussion of uh, of dating apps. Well, so it's it's weird, yeah. Yeah, it, it, like, it, I picked them because I wanted someone of a similar religious background and cultural background, but there are trashy people everywhere, right. and I've met a lot of trashy people on these apps too, which kind of makes me think like, oh, where can I go to find good people? Tell us about well, this because this fascinates me. You know, from both of your perspectives, we'll start with with you, Zara. You know, when you mental health obviously is still a very stigmatized topic, which is always fascinating to me since mental health and mental illness are two separate terms, but they get lumped together and neither should be stigmatized. But, you know, I saw Sarah Silverman on um, I have to say that three times quickly saw Sarah Silverman um, on the (laughs) Ellen show recently, or maybe it wasn't recent. I don't know. But anyway, she was on YouTube and I watched it and she brought up that she um, still has her moments where she is laying on the bathroom floor crying. And, uh, but you know, her, she, you know, she talks about depression openly. And I thought it was so funny because Ellen looked visibly uncomfortable and there was like a, that, that uncomfortable silence feeling that you get when people talk about just even talking about that subject, people still don't know what to say or how to act or whatever. And it was bizarre. I was like, Oh, so the two of you are so open about it and you really are open about it. So for you, Zara, how do you handle that? And then when they find out that you're a comedian, but it's about this, you know, topic that's stigmatized, how do you like wind all that in? Yes. 
how in what order should I like reveal certain aspects about myself? I like this is why I'm a terrible person for this podcast is because I've never gone past the third date. Like I've never had a boyfriend. I'm 30 years old, so I'm like I'm I don't know anything about dating. Like I'm still trying to figure it out. But there is one time where like. I was on a third date, and this guy, he was a jerk. He was this Pakistani international, and he would complain that I wasn't Pakistani enough and get upset that I wouldn't text him enough, and it was just a very weird dynamic. So um, I decided that I wanted to end it, and, like, I don't believe in ghosting. I believe in scaring, so I told him that I had (laughs) illness. And, um, oh, okay, so you told me you have mental illness. Okay, and his response yeah. He was like, he's like, mm, I don't believe in mental illness. And I was like, dude, it's it's not a choice. And, like, he actually told me, he's like, you know, I don't think you should take medication. I think you should take vitamins. Oh, and I was like, yeah, because there's no better cure for depression than folic acid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, yeah. You should dry fish oil. Yeah, so... Um, that's the first time that I actually had the mental health talk. Mm-hmm. And then um, I tried keeping the comedian thing a secret for like until I got to know them. But because it's such a huge aspect of my life and I do it every day that it was really hard to like keep that hidden because people would be like, well, what do you do in your free time? And it's like, uh, you know, I go to the gym, but like you only go to the gym like three times per week or I do at least. Um, even though some people have accused me of lying about that. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Well, and uh, you, I, I think I mentioned to Kristen in an email that your mom had suggested that, suggested the timing of telling a potential suitor uh, about your mental health. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think she was. Yeah. <laughs> that timing was uh, after we got married. Because, uh, like, she wanted to arrange my marriage for a while. And she's like, she was like comparing it to her experience. She's like, uh, oh, what'd she say? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She said, um, she compared it to how she kept her fibromyalgia secret uh, for from my dad until after marriage. So she said, well, you should keep your mental illness secret until after marriage. Oh, I'm like, what? That doesn't make any sense, especially since they met at the wedding. They couldn't have talked before that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As I said to Zari, the first thing your mom said to your dad was, I do. That was the beginning of the conversation. And the fibromyalgia came later. Yeah, I do. Plus, I have fibromyalgia. And it's too late to divorce me. Yeah. <laughs> <don't> well, and <laughs> and I posted today, I posted today it was an article of, uh, I guess a blog post that somebody put up about when do you tell your the person you're dating that you have depression? How do you time that? And in my case, uh, I told my wife, I think we've been married 27 years. And I, I told her in my first TED talk, although I, I had, I, had uh-huh. I told her before she saw the TED talk, I said, look, before you watch the TED talk, I've got some things I need to tell you. And I ran down the half dozen things, you know, uh, depressed, suicidal, gun in my mouth, because I didn't want her to be sitting there watching it and learning all that as she's eating her cereal and watching the, uh, you know, the TED talk. Um, 
how how long have you been married before you did your TED talk? Twenty seven years. Oh my gosh. Okay, I, I had to yeah. verify that that's what I heard. <laughs> how on yeah, earth? I didn't tell anybody. Oh, that is so interesting. I mean, you but you were you were telling people in your comedy shows, right? No. No, I told no one. Oh, I had any idea. Okay. Friends, family, rel- I, you know, there's a reason I have a Screen Actors Guild card. I'm a great actor. Mm. Haven't I told? Haven't I told? Do I have a story no. about my audition where I, I let the dark person, dark part of my personality shine through? Because yeah. I never really let anybody yeah. see that that part. Yeah, you know, that part of my personality has been trying to kill me for years. Um, I got an audition for a show called Leverage, and the part was of a a hired killer, an assassin, a former CIA, MMA, you know, like Dwayne the Rock Johnson, only gone bad character. And I, I weigh 165 pounds soaking wet, and I'm, I'm the sweetest guy on the planet. Um, nothing about me screams assassin. So I thought, you know, I could let that part of my personality that's been trying to kill me show through at the audition, and I could get the part. I could, it's kind of a Nicolas Cage approach where you get into character before you go in the building, and you don't break character until you come out. And so I got, I had a great t-shirt, jeans, you know, kind of tight t-shirt. And I got some, went to big lots and got some badass looking military sunglasses. <laughs> and I decided I wouldn't take them off. So I go in, sign in, I go in for the audition. There are two women. And I, I don't know if you've ever been to an audition, but the casting people read the other person's part. And they're playing the part of a professor who has a file that the assassin wants. And the assassin has his son. And so the woman, the one of the two women says to me, um, I'd like to trade this file for my son. And I say, I'd like to sleep with Heather Locklear, but I think we're both going to be disappointed. <laughs> and that wasn't the line, but that's the gist of the scene. And then the woman said to me now, oh, oh great. Uh, take off your sunglasses and do it again. And bear in mind, all this time I am channeling this part of my personality that's been trying mm-hmm. to kill me for decades. And she said, we well, take sunglasses off, do it again. And so I cocked my head to one side, waited a beat, and I said simply, no. She goes, thank you very much. We'll be in touch. I stayed in character all the way to my car. I broke character. Phone rings myself. It's my agent. And I go, hey, man, did I get the part? He goes, no. No, no, it's a lot worse than that. What? It's worse than not getting the part. He goes, you have been banned from the building. Oh, said, my God. Why, why, why am I banned from the building? He goes, you scared those two women so bad. I don't know what you did. Well, I do know. I asked them, what did you say? And they said, this is really strange. They said, all they said was no. And, <laughs> and they, they said, you, you, you scared them so bad. You cannot come back in the building. And wow. I said to my agent, am I the only one that sees the irony here? You're <laughs> casting the part of an assassin. If the yeah. guy who comes in for casting looks like an assassin, easy call. If the guy who comes in looks like me and he scared you so bad you banned him from the building, would you not give him the part? Right. And he said, well, you know, if Quentin Tarantino had been booking that episode of, of uh, Leverage, you'd be working the rest of your life just for the choice you made and the, and the energy you brought. You know, who gets banned from a building after one word? That's interesting. So, yeah, so... I had uh, I didn't break character as a depressed person until 2014 when I came out, wow. you know, as and did the TED talk. That was my coming out. That was you know Frank King mental health raw. Um, so 
We're good at covering it up. Yeah, well, yeah, obviously. And what's so weird is, I mean, how many comedians struggle with their with uh, mental illness? I mean, seriously. <laughs> well, it feels like pretty Kristen. much all of them. That yeah. maybe a lucky one or two, but I'd say if it, it feels like just knowing all the comedians I know is that we all are just like have our problems, our mental health problems, and it's something that we struggle with. And there's a lot of um, suicides that happen in the community. Um, just recently, uh, one of my close friends he um, overdosed um, on uh, some type of opioid, mm-hmm. and um, that kind of stuff happens like several times per year within our small community. So, like, what's sad is that it's so prevalent, but another thing is that a lot of comedians are low income or don't have access to insurance or quality treatment, or they abuse substances to kind of cope with their problems. So it's just kind of this double-edged sword. Right, right, exactly. That's what's what's so interesting about it is it's right there on the stage. You are looking at someone who, you know, it's like you two have, what is, what do you call that in acting? You break the third wall or something. What is that, Frank? You know, when they stare at the camera and they talk right at the oh, camera. Fourth wall. Fourth, fourth wall. wall. Okay. Yeah. Obviously math is not my, anyway, so <laughs> you, break the, you break the fourth wall. So the two of you have broken the fourth wall. Maybe that should be the name of your show, Breaking the Fourth Wall. <laughs> anyway, because that's what you're you're literally standing there and you're saying exactly what every single comedian, well, let's say 98% of the comedians out there actually are. Someone struggling with their mental health. And uh, but they're not saying it. And you guys look right at the camera, the audience, and you say it. So you guys are, you know superstars in my opinion well and oh, a friend of mine mike thank <laughs> you thank you mike mcdonald a comedian out of canada extremely funny uh, unfortunately uh, died not of suicide he had a had a liver problem uh <laughs> maybe he was self-medicating and that's how he got the liver problem but he had an expression he would tell you there's two kinds of comedians diagnosed and undiagnosed mm-hmm. and and uh, zara didn't you say there was somebody you knew is it studying comedians and and trying to put together some research on just how oh, many, yeah. you know, getting a, getting a sample. Yeah, my homie Eric Escobar, uh, he just did this documentary where he interviewed a bunch of comedians. Because he counted, I think, 17 people in his, like, six years of doing comedy that have um, died by suicide um, or drug abuse. And he did this documentary where he interviewed comedians about their mental illness and asked questions about it. And uh, he did such a good job that he was actually um, featured in the news about that article. So now there's more awareness happening about our little population, our comedian population, and how we struggle with mental health problems. And I'm really hoping that with that more exposure, we can get, um, you know, more help for comedians. Yeah, better access to care, all of those things. So yeah. it's it's a career choice. I mean, I, Frank, you talk about that. You know, that's a defining career choice to say, okay, I'm going to break the fourth wall in comedy and actually say what is that that nobody else is talking about. So 
that could have tanked your career or it makes your career. So were you nervous about going in that direction and then saying, I'm the mental health comedian and, you know, buying the domain and doing all those things? Uh, you know, I was a little bit until I got a call from the Chamber of Commerce a couple of weeks before I did my first TEDx. And they said it was a it was a Wednesday. And they said, look, our speaker for Thursday has bailed out. Do you have something you could do? At the, could you do 20 minutes at the, you know, it's a networking meeting. Mm-hmm. And I said, sure, if you allow me to do a dress rehearsal for my TEDx. Well, <laughs> I'm sure they had, they had no idea. They, I'm sure they thought, oh, he's going to do 20 minutes of comedy because everything I'd ever done at those meetings was comedy. Mm-hmm. And so I came in, I had my little PowerPoint and I had my notes and I had my face buried in my notes. And I was clicking the PowerPoint, just kind of running through it so I could hear it come out of my mouth. And I got done and I look up and I'm getting a standing ovation. They're all clapping. Half of them are crying. Mm. And I thought, oh, dear God, I think I may be on to something. That's 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 the beginning of realizing that, well, you know, the theme of the TED Talk finally became um, how do you start that conversation? Right. Because and then a half a dozen people from that meeting came up to me later on the weeks that followed individually, each one. You know, my, my son is schizophrenic. Um, I put a gun to my head when I was in high school. You know, all these people that you would you would never guess. And that's another reason I speak and, and uh, Zara speaks is trying to change the perceptions people have of what mental illness looks and sounds like. Because, you know, if you change perceptions, you can change prejudices Right. And that that's what I, I'm, we're after is, you know, is, I, I, I have said before, and I imagine Zara would agree, but you, you can say yes or no, Zara, that I'd like to make speaking about mental health things as as comfortable as talking about the weather. Right. So it's yeah. So it's that was a moment. And then then when I got up and <laughs> came out on stage and bear in mind, at that point, there's a 30 day lag from the time you do. TEDx until the time they put it up on YouTube. So I still had still had told my wife, I waited till the day it posted on wow. YouTube and she's about to hit play. Hold on. <laughs> There's something we need to talk about. That is so uh, interesting. Well obviously you guys survived. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah. Well she's uh you know, she was on the road with me for two thousand six hundred and twenty nine nights in a row, nonstop. When we were, you know, I did comedy clubs. We didn't have a home for seven years. And she was on the road with me the entire time. And that's the kind of thing either makes or breaks a marriage. Because we used to joke that when you get, we had a forerunner. If you get upset at each other, the only place you have to go at that point is the back seat. Right. I'll be in the back seat if anybody needs it. Uh, and then we did the bankruptcy. And again, bankruptcy is something that either makes or breaks yeah. a marriage. And she's, you know, she hung in there and we hung in there. And so it's, uh, yeah, she's an amazing, uh, and by the way, uh, one of the benefits of bankruptcy, if there are such things, is that you are allowed to drill down to what you need versus Mm -hmm. what you want. Yep. Yeah. You know, housing, food, food for the animals, clothing. Uh, you know, that's electricity, pretty much it. Yeah. Um, you become a, a minimalist, which in my opinion is a much easier 
less stressful way to live. Um, Zara, yeah, yeah. So Zara, for you, what, what was the decision point for you to say, I'm going to openly talk about this and, and, you know, even have a domain, you know, mentally dash chill.com and really make this myself known about this particular um, material. Yeah. I appreciate you asking me that because it, it, what happened was that, um, like my TED talk is called relapse as part of recovery because I relapsed so often in my mental illness that caused me a lot of pain and suffering. So for example, after college, um, I was able to graduate from Harvey Mudd college, which is an engineering college in, uh, Southern California. But afterwards I got fired from three jobs. I was very unstable. and very <laughs> idle. Yeah. I, I, that's quite the relapse. <laughs> And um, I just felt so alone because I never talked about my mental illness because I was so ashamed of it. I thought it was part of me. I thought it was personal. Um, And so I took this class through NAMI, the National Alliance on Mental Illness. And for the first time, I got to open up about what happened to me to people that just understood because this class was only for people with mental illness. And that changed my life to the point where when I graduated from that class, I didn't have any suicidal thoughts anymore. And I realized that I need to give, like, what helped me with my recovery is that I gained a voice. Like, I was able to talk about my symptoms and I was able to um, just grow from it and see that it's not like it is an illness, but it's also a strength. So as I graduated from that class, I decided to talk to my friends one-on-one and share my story and tell them, you know, I have mental illness. This is something I struggle with and, you know, things like that. And that's why my second TED talk is going to be about how to share you have mental illness because it's such a difficult topic to talk about Mm -hmm. that I found that speaking from a place of recovery and strength and when I was doing well, I had 100% great reception from everyone I talked to. And then I started working in the field and I started sharing um, as a peer mentor, sharing my story with other people who were struggling with their mental illness and doing very poorly at the time. And I saw the impact that was making that I started to realize that I need to share my story because I need to have an impact on a larger scale. And so through my personal experience and through seeing the impact of my words on the people around me, I realized that, you know, not to like toot my own horn, but I have a gift that I need to share with people. So, yeah, that's that's it. <laughs> I totally get it. Listen, I, I think about this, you know, how many shows do I do a week? And, why, you know, why do I do this network? And why do I uh, have multiple shows that I'm hosting on the network? Uh, because I need a lot of mental health information because it feeds my soul. (laughs) So the proportion of, you know, interviews that I do, it's proportionate to how much it feeds me and how, and also feeds me personally. And also is something that then has, you know, potential to reach so many other people too, and has gotten, you know, more and more and more um, growth and successful, the more that, 
I've shared. So it's this great loop that is just always, you're always in a good loop with it. Thing is what's great about mental health is that I have found too, is I can talk when I'm, um, when I'm not doing so hot with it and it's accepted here. I can say, listen, uh, November's coming. I, your listeners, you know, you're going to start hearing me kind of dip and struggle a little bit more with shows because I do deal with seasonal affective disorder. Uh, but I'll still be doing shows. And so I feel like in that way, I'm sort of breaking that fourth wall too, where I'm like, I'm not pretending on this podcast to have my shit together, like all the, all the time. (laughs) I mean, sometimes I don't, and I do an interview anyway, because that's real life. I'm not going to call in sick. I can't, this is my career. So I'm going to do them anyway, because isn't that real life? Don't we just, you have mental illness, you do the best you freaking can, you know? Well, and yeah. I got to tell you, every now and then I like to screw with uh, normal people. Uh, I was doing it. Neurotypicals, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I was in uh, Sacramento. I did a couple of trainings, a suicide prevention, workplace health and safety issue. And I called the Uber guy and Uber guy came. And I thought, I just was in kind of a frisky mood because uh, people always ask you perfunctorily, how you doing? So every now and then, I'll, as I said, I like to screw around with normal people. So I get in the car. <laughs> And, you know, we can see each other's eyes in the rearview mirror. And he goes, hey, man, how you doing? And I said, uh, I'm depressed and suicidal. And he's quiet for about a block. And then he looks in the rearview mirror and he goes, um, what, am I, what am I supposed to say to that? I said, do you really want to know? And he goes, yeah. I go, you're supposed to say, do you have a plan? And so he goes, do you, do, do you have a plan? And then there's this pause and he goes, and does it involve Uber? <laughs> oh my god oh i just yeah i just i said man i know comedians don't write that fast that's uh yeah, oh yeah. can i brag about czar a little bit i yes, turned her over to absolutely. my college college agent i talked to the podcast other podcasters about colleges i recommended czar to my college agent um uh, and 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 lo and behold she got picked up and then they submitted her for the northern plains college regional and her first one ever and she's going and doing it this sweet and what's your yeah. um what's your tagline zara from victim from victim uh, to something or from uh victim to champion of recovery uh yeah i don't know something like that so, i don't know I, like- I should probably do my heart better but like <laughs> yes from a victim of my illness to champion of recovery there, there we yeah. go that's it. And she and I are doing the, the TEDx. That's the one she was talking about uh, coming up uh, in about, uh, I guess, a um, couple of months. We'll be doing that together in Los Angeles. Um, so, yeah, she's a, she's a rock star in the, in the TEDx world, in the college world, and, and uh, going to take comedy by storm. So That's and fantastic. We met at a NAMI function, National Alliance of Mental Illness, Orange County. I was the, in, I was the keynote speaker that night. And this, this petite young woman comes up sort of shyly and says, um, you know, I, I, I'd like to be a stand-up comedian, <laughs> uh, which I get, you know, I get occasionally. And I said, well, do, do you have any video? And she goes, uh, I have a video of my first open mic. I said, okay. So um, she sent it to me. And of course, I've talked about this before that I can watch something and watch the open mic. And even if the audience is not, you know, we've talked about this, not reacting. Yes. I'm watching, I'm watching the, the person. And, and for, for the first time of an open mic, 
you know, it was a little disorganized and it was, but, but you could just see there was, there, there was some there, mm-hmm. there. The gift. And that was, yeah. yeah, that was about two years ago. And, and, um, and she has done remarkably well in a very short period of time because she's bright and she found her voice. Her jokes are about her, her life and her frustrations, messes and stresses. And, you know, it's uh, in a world of penis jokes at yeah. open mics. Right. Yeah, I think even one night you said, Zara, one night you said, look, I, I don't know that I have anything to talk about because I don't have a penis. Because everybody who's gone on before her had oh, been talking about that particular order. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that is true. I was like, I don't have any dick jokes. What am I going to do? do? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Which, which, by the way, from a comedy stand, she's one of the very few young people I've ever tried to help with comedy that actually took my advice. I mean, she makes her own decisions. But I say, you know, I think this, I think close with that change this word, you know, no, that's a great joke. Just trust me. And, you know, she makes her own calls, but obviously she's been choosing well because she's doing very well. Mm, That's fantastic. It's awesome to have a mentor, isn't it, Zara? Yeah, I'm super lucky. Frank has helped me out so much. I would not have gotten two TED Talks or be uh, have the achievements in comedy that I have if it wasn't for Frank helping me out. So thank you, Mm -hmm. Frank. I really appreciate it. (laughs) <laughs> you are welcome. And by the way, Kristen, uh, Zara knows it's not charity. It's enlightened self-interest because I am hanging on to her coattails as just <laughs> as hard as I can. You are so much like me, Frank. It kind of freaks me out. Like we have the same sort of business sense and the same kind of like, okay, we're going to, this is definitely going to do this because it makes me feel good. And it's going to help this person and it's going to help me. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's like an ultra, a self-serving altruist. I don't know what it would be called. Not a narcissist. Thank you very much. But uh, we're way too altruistic for that. But it's it's uh, it's that I don't know. I, I just had a young woman today who's going to do a podcast on our network called Suicide Nation. And she is a counselor that's out there working on a Navajo reservation and in oh. the trenches. And she I she was pitching her show and budget is super, super slim. And I was like, we'll make it work. This is so great. What you're going to talk about, who talks about this, who is talking about mental health, you know, in terms of uh, it just, that's the kind of stuff where I'm like, Oh, this is so great. I want to help her. She's amazing. She's doing incredible work. It's often thankless and, yet she wants to talk about it. It's going to be a spiritual growth experience for her to do podcasts. It'll fill her soul, which will make her make dealing with the job stuff easier. And nobody talks about this subject that just rounds out our network even more. You know what I mean? Yep. I know we're going to close, but I'm so excited about that. I just want to publicly thank both of you for agreeing to do it. Uh, It is supporting the network because as your stars rise you're going to remember that mental health news radio network um helped (laughs) and that helps me with my mission and that helps every other podcaster on the network so thank you both for for doing this i love it Uh, we are delighted to be involved yeah for sure (laughs) awesome well 
Zara, everybody knows where they can find Frank, thementalhealthcomedian.com. Where can they find out more about you? Okay, so you can go to my website, mentallymuslim.com. That's <laughs> M-E-N-T-A-L-L-Y-M-U-S-L-I-M. I don't know. I'm pretty fatigued after this podcast, so I'm <laughs> struggling with that. Or you can find me on Instagram or Facebook, and my tag is mentallymuslim. Um, so yeah, feel free to message me anytime. Um, message me if you heard this radio thing so we can chat and I get to know you and, mm. you know, I'll call you back since I know that's kind of a big thing on Instagram, the follow for follow or whatever it's called. I don't know, but <laughs> I'd love to hear from you. So message me anytime. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you both for doing the show and listeners. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Mental Health News Radio. I know, I know, no one likes commercials, but seriously, folks, without the help from these organizations, we could not stay on the air. Please give a shout out to zencharts.com. If you're a mental health or addiction treatment center, you'll want to use their EHR. It's gorgeous, and they're just good people. And also mygenetics, M-Y-G-E-N-E-T-X.com, because knowing your genetic code empowers your mental health treatment. And lastly, copenotes.com. We love getting positive messages right to our phones every day from Johnny Crowder. He's the lead singer of Prison, a heavy metal band sharing their music about suicide prevention, addiction recovery, and mental health. See, that was painless. Support them as they support us. Back to the show. Sometimes I'm passive aggressive, but never without good intentions. I heat up and act on my emotions. Thanks so much for listening to Mental Health News Radio. Our podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and hundreds of other podcast apps. Or you can visit our website at mentalhealthnewsradio.com. If you have a question or would like to be a guest, become a podcaster on our network, or join the amazing organizations that help keep us on the air, please email us at info at mhnrnetwork.com. Get ready for that special goodbye from our resident therapy dog, Miles, and a special thanks to Emily Sohn for letting us use her incredible song, Cordial, for our podcast music. Listen to the full song on SoundCloud at emily.sonne. Don't be surprised when I don't hate on you. After all, we promised we'd be cordial. Sometimes in you, I can fight.